Welcome, everyone, to Asian Pacific Voices Radio, where you will find stimulating conversations about a variety of topics and stories that affect our communities. I'm your host, Sasha Fu, and today I am so pleased to welcome our guest, Ginger Lily Lowe. Now, I met Ginger Lily just a, well, not all that long ago in an online artist group that formed during COVID when we were desperately trying to find other ways to connect with each other. Ginger Lily is a San Diego-based theater artist, a well-known actor, director, and playwright who focuses many of her efforts on telling the stories of the Asian American communities. Welcome, Ginger Lily. Yes, I am Ginger Lily Lowe, and I uh, am uh, the co-founder and president of Asian Story Theater. We've been doing theater for a long time here in San Diego. And uh, I started our this theater journey uh, with Pacific Asian Actors Ensemble in San Diego, the first Asian American theater company here. In 19, around 1979, we started gathering together and produced our first show in like 1981 or so. I wanted to say that you've been a trailblazer, and I'm going to kind of reiterate some of the achievements that you have under your belt. You founded, as you mentioned, the Pacific Asian Actors Ensemble, which was the first Asian theater company here in San Diego. And you have also toured uh, in other cities, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and uh, devoted a lot of your theater efforts towards children. Your present theater company, Asian Story Theater, performs throughout San Diego. So if we're going to backtrack a little bit, I want to ask you about your childhood, where you grew up, and where you developed this fascination and love for the theater. Oh, well, I actually was born in Los Angeles, Chinatown, um, and grew up there, and also spent a bit of time in San Francisco, Chinatown, where my father grew up. Um, He lived right on Grant Avenue, and uh, while he was there, they used to call him the bean sprout prince because my grandfather started a bean sprout business that first started marketing to Westerners. So he took his bean sprouts to Safeway and kind of introduced those. So one of the things we always are so proud of is like, oh, all those lofans, the white people eating our bean sprouts. Yeah, that's because my grandfather actually started that <laughs> business and started marketing outside of Chinatown. But um, yeah, I grew up in Chinatown, Los Angeles, and my father loved the theater. And he took us to theater very early on. Um, We lived near the music center in those days. And my first um, Broadway tour of a show was Showboat. And I can remember still that big, gigantic boat coming out onto the stage and splitting open. It was just amazing to me. Um, and then all through school, I used to like at recess time, you know, have a group of, uh, students, mostly girls, but we would go down to the basement, which was where the girls restroom was. And there was like a big hall there and we would make up stories and I would direct and say, okay, now we're going to tell Cinderella. And we would, you know, I'd give everybody parts and we would all play. And then we'd come back to class and say, um, you know, can we, can we do a little show? <laughs> we do, we do little plays, you know. That the teacher would the go, teachers oh, always sure, had yeah. to say yes. Right. I want to ask you but about. That was, 
your childhood and growing you know, up as a consumer really of Asians pop culture, you on know, stage TV and in TV and at the time. Movies. There was at that there were time really no Asians in the media, and mm-hmm. so we saw very very rarely Asians performing. And how did that affect you? Well, I you know by the time I was in high school, because I I did you know participate in the theater program there, um, and it was very difficult to to get cast and and get experience uh i joined a little troupe uh with other asian artists who were feeling similarly that you know you just uh didn't get opportunities and so how do you hone your craft and so we Mm. formed the pacific asian actors ensemble started by tom sesma who is now an actor on broadway and he was at ucsd and he kind of gathered some of us together and, and we made a little home at the Marquee Public Theater where uh, Kent Brisby, who's now currently my husband, um, was the uh, director at the Gallery Theater. And so we actually were able to have a little residency in that theater and just put on shows where we used multi-ethnic casts and uh, different artists and said, you know, somebody said they wanted to work on costume design. And so we had a, a Japanese uh, costume designer, you know, who who did our shows and actors. And we just kind of all got a chance to have experience. And at that time, casting multiculturally was kind of brown, groundbreaking. That wasn't being done a lot, right? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, also during this period, we were, you know, cause we never made money at the <laughs> theater, but we were, uh, I guess we kind of got involved with the children's theater that actually operated out of the Midwest and mm. they hired, um, Kent to cast from the West coast and bring some more shows they needed. They had a lot of, um, theater for children going on all across the country. And these were like big you know, 3,000 seat houses, but they always had, it was always, um, you know, uh, Babes in Toyland and Wizard of Oz and very white. And we would cast those uh, with multi-ethnic uh, casts and sometimes do a little gender bending as well, which was quite controversial. But then when we traveled you know, we realized what a value that was because just like I grew up and never saw, you know, Asians on stage, little kids would come over to me and they would be so enthusiastic to see me on stage because I looked like them. And they would say that, you know, you look just like me. And it was um, just like the most gratifying thing that I realized, oh, you know, that, that value of being seen, just being seen, how important that was. Absolutely. Was that one of the reasons you decided at some point to focus more on telling Asian focused stories, uh, stories that come out of Asian folklore? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. After doing a few years of these shows, you know, we started looking around. I said, well, why are we always doing, you know, Babes in Toyland and The Wizard (laughs) of Oz? There's so many wonderful stories that we can tell and maybe we can just tell them ourselves and so at that time um we were uh quite um involved with the san diego chinese center downtown 
In fact, Kent and I uh, were volunteers on the board and we would help um, to uh, just schedule all the entertainment for the New Year's Fair. And um, one of the, I guess the director at the time brought a, a grant that she had discovered. She said, you know, you guys do theater. Um, maybe this would be something that we could do and, and uh, you know, educate other people about Chinese culture. And that fit right into the things that we wanted to do. I also taught school at the time. And um, I had my sixth graders. We were supposed to learn about ancient Chinese, China at the time. And, you know, one of my students just said to me, I teach her, I know nothing Chinese. And I thought, oh yeah, that's so true. Let's go to the library and let's get some books. And I realized the only stories that were at the library were the same stories that I had when I was growing up in the sixties. It was like Tiki Tiki Tembo was a Chinese story about yeah. a you know family that named their right. their children with yeah. such long names that he basically drowns in a well, right? And uh, so that's why the moral of the story is that's why Chinese people have short names. And then um, another story is the story of Ping about a little duck who gets whacked on the bottom. So you clearly and, recognized uh, a need to tell more stories involving Asian families, Asian kids, Asian culture, and that was very successful, right? Yeah. So we started the Chinese Story Theater and right away they were stories that I had grown up with um, going to Chinese movies with my grandmother in San Francisco Chinatown. We started with the story of the white snake, white snake, green snake, and then Journey to the West. Um, all, like did several stories about the Monkey King and, and his adventures. And we did those stories for children here in San Diego. We had we saw thousands of kids actually. And uh, then later on did a little bit of traveling up to Los Angeles at the Wadsworth and then in San Francisco at the Palace of Fine Arts. And I, and it was really cool to have kids of, you know, lots of diversity seeing our shows. And then on our stages, we also had a lot of diversity. You know, one of the important things about our theater was we never wanted to make it as, as just Asians performing shows for Asians. We wanted these stories to become part of the mainstream for more people to know them. And so it was always important to include a lot of different people in the storytelling. Do you think you were able to achieve that aim or at least make some progress towards that? Well, you know, over the years, we've had some wonderful stories from other People have heard like actors talk about, I, you know, there always are questions about what inspired you to get into theater. And, um, you know, there's an actor in San Diego named Willie Green. And someone else called us afterwards and said, oh, you know, I was at this uh, panel talk back and he said the the what really inspired him to go see or become an actor was he went with his school to see a, a show about the monkey king at the Lyceum <laughs> theater and he saw like these people like doing this incredible thing and he said he said that's what he wanted to do and oh we've run gosh. across that so many times where people say oh i remember yeah i used to go to this show and it really just kind of changed my world or um you know later on we've worked with other actors who said you know when i was a little kid i saw this show at the wadsworth <laughs> and 
He's, oh, that was us. <laughs> that so, must be so gratifying to hear these stories about how your theater has moved people and maybe even moved them to become artists themselves. In your body of work, the, the different kinds of theater that you've done, the different stories you've told, is there one work that really, that you just love, 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 your favorite? Uh, well, there are several. I mean, the Monkey King stories have always been fun. Um, but we started doing something a little different. Um, now we've become Asian story theater. So we've expanded our focus and became a, a nonprofit um, from the Chinese story theater. And uh, we did, we started working on um, different shows based on the community. And one of them was called uh, the stories of from the sun cafe mm. and downtown. There's an old restaurant called the sun cafe for a long time. That was considered the longest running restaurant in San Diego. And when we started looking more into it, we realized it was actually started by a Japanese family during the time when redlining was still happening. And if you were a person of color, you could not buy property um, outside of 21st Street. I think there was mm -hmm. a red line there. And so, but people of color could buy property along, you know, downtown where the brothels were basically. Mm. And so that's where the first Asian communities formed. The Sun mm -hmm. Cafe originally was a shooting gallery that um, the Obayashis had bought and uh, started a business there. But they sold soup, soup that was so good that more people came <laughs> for the soup than the shooting gallery. And so they built this restaurant called the Sun Cafe. And all around them, there were all these different families that kind of grew up in these in this community tofu houses and of course mm -hmm. the brothels and all kinds of other businesses as well when the internment came um mm -hmm. then other families had to move in because those people were all taken to the internment camps right yeah. and so it really changed and but it became like a greek restaurant and then later on a chinese restaurant and mm -hmm. continued to run like all the way to 2000 later on, it became Funky Garcia's at the Sun Cafe or something like that. <laughs> but it, it ran for a long time. Anyways, in doing the research for that show, we started interviewing, um, you know, these 85, 90 year old uh, I guess families and, and mm -hmm. people from um, the Japanese temple. And, we started, we created a show that kind of told their different stories and some of the accomplishments they had and their experiences. And then when we started to do the shows, lots of the younger family members came and had never heard some of these stories. They, oh. and, you know, so they were just be in tears and so touched and so moved um, yeah. and thankful, you know, that their stories were being told. And uh, so we have since then continued to do some other shows like What Are You, Hollow Hollow. Um, our last show was a musical called Not Working. And um, it was actually about the pandemic. We reached mm. out to a lot of different composers of color and asked them to send us music and then kind of put them into a, a program that just told, you know, what our different diverse communities were going through. As an independent theater, a smaller theater, how difficult is it to get these 
wonderful ideas into production. I would imagine money is always a big question mark. Yeah, that that is always very difficult. <laughs> um, you know, my husband, Kent, is always working on grants. And that's how we've been able to produce these shows for all this time. A lot of times, also, when you're working with um, communities that don't often attend theater or their communities of color, they don't spend the same kind of money in theater. Mm-hmm. They're not used to it as well. So we always try to keep a very inexpensive um, ticket. Uh, a lot of times we're introducing people to the theater for the first time. Mm-hmm. It might be the first time that they've been to the theater when they come to see a show and they might just hear about it from someone else. So uh, it is It is always a challenge. So in fact, the last show that we did, we basically made the tickets free and then, you wow. know, anybody who was um, willing to uh, just donate or pay, you know, a little something that was, you know, so we were so thankful and gratified for it. But we really just wanted people to be able to come and see the shows. So your nonprofit is largely supported by grants. Is that right? Seems Mostly. like that, that's the case. Yeah. It's difficult in this environment where so many arts groups are vying for the shrinking public dollars. Is there advice that you would give to artists who are trying to either make a film or produce a play or, you know, start a theater company of their own? It's, it's tough, right? It's a tough business, but I mean, part of the reason why we do it is we really just have no choice. It's, it's a passion, right? Something that we feel driven to do. And um, so you just, keep making art and then you hope that other people will come and usually you know it 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 is very appreciated um but i you know i have great hope for the future because i do see some of these bigger companies starting to make more room in their programming to include more diverse stories for sure um, you know, for a long time, I felt like even in San Diego theater, in the more the mainstream theater uh, companies, that it's a very rare thing to see artists of color, especially of Asian descent, you know, on the stages and certainly seeing stories of Asian stories told is very rare. And uh, but I'm starting to see a little more of it. And I'm starting to see more people of color in our audiences here. Um, you know, that's another thing that even my my husband and I continue to go um, see theater here in San Diego in Los Angeles. And it's always very interesting because when we go to L.A., we definitely see more families and more um, people of color sitting in the seats. Sometimes I go to a show here in San Diego and I look around and I realize I'm the only person who's not white here. <laughs> and that's uh, always really interesting, you know. <laughs> speaking so. of differences between white and non-white, your husband is Caucasian and he works on a lot of the projects which are focused on the Asian experience. How do you make that work? Um, I'm sure his point of view is also valuable in terms of acting as a collaborator. You know, I mean, I think um, it's been a really good partnership. He actually grew up, his his formidable years were on islands and um, in Saipan and Yap and in Hawaii. And so 
I think he has a special um, kinship with some of the things, you know, that I'm really interested in as well. And uh, mm-hmm. in fact, I I always, you know, felt like that that was his superpower, being a white male in theater. In fact, if we didn't have him, we wouldn't have had the opportunity at Pacific Asian Actors Ensemble. So uh, he was really our artistic director at the beginning, he knew a lot more than we did, had a lot more experiences. Doors were open to him that were not open to us. And, and so that's the because of his being Caucasian? A white man, right? Oh. I mean, even women didn't really have access to, you know, if they wanted to direct a show. I saw, I'm thinking like in those days, I very rarely saw a woman director um, hmm. in the theater. And uh, so at that time, you know, to have that opportunity, it it was really important, actually, that somebody say, oh, we're going to open the doors and bring this viewpoint in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but he also is writing for his daughter as well. And, you know, his his now family is Asian. So the things that we, you know, present have a lot to do with things that he really cares about. Great. I've talked to other folks on this podcast about the myth of the model minority, and I'm sure you're familiar with that, that Asian people are successful in America because they don't rock the boat. They just put their nose to the grindstone. They don't make a lot of noise. They don't try to be disruptive. They don't ask for more. Uh, They don't ask for changes. In some ways, that myth has been somewhat destructive to our communities because it's uh, baked in expectations about what we can achieve as a group. How has that myth affected your career as a theater maker? Do you think it has inhibited you from taking some opportunities or chances? I, there are things that I, you know, sometimes I hear my father who was a, a physicist, actually, he, he was told by his um, high school teacher not to worry about his grades or try to expect more because kids like him would not be able to go to college. And um, he ended up going, you know, uh, being drafted in the war and getting a GI Bill, which opened up a door for him. And so he became a physicist, actually graduated with the first, um, I guess, the physics department opened in San Francisco State University. And so he was part of that first class that went through. And I remember him, like, even though he really took us to the theater, he would have my sister and I do these little presentations or little shows and things. But he would also say things like, you know, don't stick your head up too far because, you know, the nail that sticks up is the one that gets hammered. He would have Mm -hmm. these little sayings about, you know, what our place was and that as a minority, you know, that he knew that part of being successful was also being quiet. Right. Mm. And so I think he kind of lived a life like that in some ways was proud because his children weren't really like that. They would speak up. They would, you know, participate in different things. They were, in, you know, doing theater, which he always loved and thought was um, great. And then on the other hand, 
not really knowing or understanding how to navigate that himself, right? Um, so how does that translate to your experience? Since you're not following your father in terms of that type of thinking, but you're aware that there is this myth that, you know, if you speak up too loud, you're going to get pushed down. I, I think, you know, I think that... Um, it it's on it's kind of a two a double edged sword i mean in some ways i don't believe that we should aspire towards you know that quiet way of 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 slipping through by the same token i know sometimes personally i've not like decided to pursue uh, you know going to hollywood or doing that kind of thing and then in an you know but on our own I have a great partner who has made a life of theater for us. Now, not a life that we've made money in, but really a, a strong, we've left a strong legacy of theater and programming that a lot of people have seen and, and will remember in some way. And hopefully, you know, feel some validation because something is represented that they can understand and relate to as well. So I, you know, we've, we've kind of done it the other way. We've just kind of self-produced things over the years, <laughs> and, you know, and we're able to do that. And, and you've been I, very you know, successful. I look, at, I look at a lot of the, the younger folks now, and I, I'm just in such admiration that they're going out there and they're knocking on the doors and they're, um, you know, getting their things in. And, um, I, and I, I'm envious of that by the same token I don't know. That's a, that's a whole nother life. And at this age and stage, I'm not sure if I, you know, am ready or would have been willing to do that. Ginger Lily, so, you have a lot to be proud about because you have blazed a trail for many theater creators. Um, all these actors that, you know, like you cited, they saw your early productions and said that inspired them to enter the theater my question to you now is what's next for Asian Story Theater? What are some projects that you're excited about? Well, one of the things that we've been talking about for a long time is, you know, Asian um, ghost stories are yeah. are so wonderful and juicy. And I've always uh, wanted to do like a little program called Asian Scary Theater, more <laughs> of like a radio show, but kind uh -huh. of bringing in all these wonderful um Asian stories from across, you know, across the diaspora. Um, another show that Kent has been working on is Coffee Stories. And mm. there are a lot of wonderful, that's a really unique uh, kind of outlook also on just because there's so many different coffees growing all around the world and the stories that might kind of go around, around wow. them. So yeah. he's got that in mind as well. And you know, so those are the a couple of things that we're kind of working on right now, but um, we'll just continue to like make make theater, make shows, make great and theater, theater that is going to entertain us, enrich us, and hopefully enlighten us. Thank you so much. We're going to wrap up, but we want to ask: uh, Can we find out more about you through social media, and what are the platforms that you or Asian Story Theater is on are on? Yeah, you can find us on AsianStoryTheater.org and also on Facebook, Asian Story Theater. Theater with a E-R, so not the R-E. 
Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ginger Lily, for telling us all about your history, your love of theater, and what's ahead for Asian Story Theater. We also want to welcome our audience to hear from you and our listeners and uh, about suggestions that you might have about future guests on this podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Pacific Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance. It's a nonprofit that empowers our Asian and Pacific Islander communities with a voice through media arts. And if you would like to support our program, please visit this website, AsianPacificVoicesRadio.com. I'm Sasha Fu, your host, and thank you so much for listening. Please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking episode of Asian Pacific Voices Radio. Take care. We'll see you then. 